Hey guys, happy 2022. <laughs> I was born in the 60s. It seemed like it would be, you know, outer space 2022. We would be, you know, jetting in the sky in the car that flew. Anyway, here we are. And I wanted to talk a little bit about foster care. The reason why I want to talk about it is because I was in foster care and I wasn't in for that long. I think it was under a year, but I wanted to share my experience with you. Um, oh gosh, where to begin? I've talked a lot about my past and I have about 25 or 30 podcasts. So let me just give you a brief overview I was raised by my aunt and uncle, which was my biological mother's sister and her husband. It was kept a family secret till I was 12. And at 12, my aunt, who I called mom, had a major nervous breakdown and started drinking and hanging out with the wrong people. And she told me, you know, my sister, Aunt Janice is your mom. Um, and then she was like, I'm just a glorified babysitter. You know, everything's been about you. Everything's going to be about me now. Um, my dad, who was technically my uncle, up and left after she tried to take his face off with a hand sander because she would carve these carousel horses. I know you're probably thinking this is crazy. I know you can't make this shit up. But anyway... So she became, she went from like Marlo Thomas to being a loving, nurturing, caring, tuned in mom who I love and adored and idolized to being the monster in my house. She was erratic. She was untreated bipolar, I'm sure. She had huge Mood swings up and down. She would leave sometimes for a week at a time. And, we're, you know, think about this. I'm 12 years old. I'm a girl, 12 years old. I'm living at a house at a lake with all these windows. I'm all by myself. And she would just go and just be gone for like a week. So it was really scary. Um, it was scary when she wasn't around at night because I was frightened, but it was also really scary when she was around because she would come home drunk. She would bring home strange men that she met God knows where in the middle of the night. Um, I played the piano. She used to pull me out of my bed like at two or three in the morning and I'd be in my nightgown and here's all these guys and they're like, oh, this is my kid. She's going to play the piano and sing for us like a trained monkey. So I, from 12 to 15, it was freaking hell at my house. And I finally started talking to friends and also my teachers. I was in gifted programs at school. I was close with my counselors. Long story short, one of my friends who was a godsend borrowed the counselor's car we packed up a few of my things and I left because I was very scared for my life and my well-being. And I went to 
the sheriff's department, filed a report against her, and I was put into child services. I got to tell you, for me, child services, foster care was a godsend. It was the first time, you guys, in three years that I felt safe. The first time. And I was in one family in Hidden, I think it was called Hidden Hills, and they just took me on an emergency basis, but this this um, lady and her husband, they were taking their two foster kids to Hawaii. And I remember I got there and they had like a jacuzzi in the backyard. We were drinking like bubbly apple juice. They were so sweet. They were so kind. I, I don't remember their names, but they just took me like for a couple weeks until they went on vacation because they had to find a place to put me. Okay, so then... I went to a family, the lady's name was Erlene, and she had a bunch of foster kids. Her husband was kind of like a quiet accounting type guy, and she was just a very nice, what I consider to be normal, balanced, you know, mentally mom. And she had her own, her own kids, and then she also had a couple foster kids. And again, I felt like I could breathe. I felt like instead of breathing through a plastic bag and being constantly worried that I was going to be harmed, that something bad was going to happen, I could actually like relax and I like being there. I really like being there because I felt a sense of being with other people. I felt like part of something. I wasn't alone. I felt well cared for, and most of all, I felt safe. So my dad, who was my biological, well, not biological, but he was my uncle, he got me out of foster care. And this has been something over the years that he would bring up to me when we would have arguments over different things. He would be like, but I got you out of foster care. Yeah, you got me out of foster care, but why was I in foster care to begin with? If you were there for me, I wouldn't have been in foster care. You left, and you left me with a delusional, dangerous, mentally imbalanced woman who before they even ever adopted me, was in a mental institution after she got raped by another woman when she was in the army. So she was in a mental ward before I was ever even adopted and had electric shock therapy. Now, who in their right mind decides to give a baby to a mother who's been in a mental ward? You know, I'm sorry, but she already had problems. And, you know, I can't go back, but I can't help to think if I was just adopted out to, you know, a family that had no connections at all to my biological family, it would have saved me a lot of heartache. But then again, I wouldn't have taken the path I did and I wouldn't have found my amazing husband, which has been the light in my life next to God. You have to have, I mean, I have to have God in my life.
God got me through, and then he brought me an amazing man who I've been with. It's going to be March. It's going to be 38 to 39 years. So I'm so lucky that way. But anyway, back to the foster home. So my dad got me out of the foster home. And I didn't feel comfortable with him. You know, as a kid, he would tickle me until I was like screaming in pain and hitting him. He would think it's really funny. I remember this going on, on and off for years. And it was torture. It was actually torture. And, you know, he would grab my underarm. He would grab my groin, which is, you know, really close to your private area. It's very invasive. Um, It's something that shouldn't be done. And when I say stop, he wouldn't stop. So this is something that's really haunted me. This is something that's really bothered me for many, many, many years on top of so many other things. Um, So he got me out of foster care and I just didn't feel comfortable there. Um... I believe that he got me out. He probably felt bad. But why didn't he feel bad three years back when I said, I'm living with this maniac. Get me out of here. Um, so we had this gorgeous house in Malibu Lake, which she was living in. And I, I really believe, and he finally said, well, I got you out of foster care so we could, you know, get the lake house and you could stay in the same school district Well, he thought he would get the lake house having the kid, right? He did not get the lake house. So he was really critical. It was very hard. I don't remember when I was growing up him looking at me and saying things like, you're so smart. You're a beautiful daughter. You know, things like that. I don't remember that. What I remember is that you're fat you're lazy. This is what I remember hearing. You're stupid. You're going to amount to nothing. So this is what I had from my dad, who was a school teacher. And then the comparison to other people, why can't you spell like Martha Stevens? She spells so good. You know, he would constantly compare and put me down. And it was really hard living with him. Um, I remember I had brought home, I had gone to the store and just purchased like a really pretty, like maybe it was, I don't know what it was made out of, but like a pretty nightgown. And he's like, what's in the bag? And I said, oh, that's just something personal for me. So he looks at the nightgown and he's like, you're going to wear this? Really? So he was just always putting me down and it made me feel very defective. So I wound up trying my biological mother again. I thought, okay, I'm older, I'm stronger. Um, I could just, you know, if she does anything to me, I'm strong enough now I could push her off me. I can handle her. Um, And I don't want to be here with him because I'm not comfortable with him. He's all about who he was sleeping with. And, you know, I... I remember, I remember laying in my bed in my room upstairs. We were living on Quakertown in Woodland Hills. I remember I came home from my job, which was after 
school. Now I was paying rent to him 200 a month. So I remember I was like either 16 or 17 and I came home and there was an empty ice cream container. And all I remember is the door opening, him calling me a pig, him taking the empty ice cream container and throwing it at me while I'm in bed and telling me, like, how dare you? This was my ice cream. Get your ass out of bed, get dressed, and go to Ralph's and get me more ice cream. Okay, and don't you ever do that again. Okay, now it's 11 o'clock at night. So this was the kind of shit that really makes you feel welcome, that really makes you feel high self-esteem, right? So anyway, um, he finally married his long-term girlfriend um, and pretty much moved into her house where she was living. And everything was about her and her sons, um, whose father had abandoned them. So he, he, their father had abandoned them. They get my father, who was once our school teacher. Okay. And she doesn't really care for me. I could tell that, you know, I'm just kind of in the way. Um, I'd go over a couple times a year on holidays. I just never felt welcomed. And eventually I married my husband and he, you know, he felt kind of the same way. It's like even our sons, when we'd go over, they, they would say hi and that was it. They wouldn't be like sincerely like, Hey, how you doing? Fill me in. What's been going on with you? They would just sit there talking about themselves. And my husband and I would just sit there like, okay. And then his wife would go around the table and she would have her parents there, Bubby and Zadie, which is grandma and grandpa in Yiddish, right? So she would have her parents there and it would be like, Bubby, Zadie, do you want some leftovers? And they'd be like, okay. And then she would ask her kids, sons, do you want some leftovers? And then she would pass up me and Jay. I was never offered a leftover, but I was expected to do everybody's dishes. And the one time I didn't do all the dishes, I heard about it later. So that's what it had become. Um, I think I'm gonna just tell you recently what happened. She wound up having my dad move out after he lives with her for like 30 years and helps pay off the mortgage and Everything's going and being willed to her two sons. Uh, nothing for me because I don't matter. And I was the black sheep of the family. I think she would have been happy if I just like didn't even exist. And when I tried to talk to her once about how I felt, she's like, oh, you're playing the victim. And it's like, no, I, I, I just, I, I feel, I don't feel like part of this family. I remember when her father had died. I was working for L'Oreal then and I was so concerned about him and I was supposed to go on a trip to Virginia Beach to do this big presentation for this big uh, account that I had. And I called my dad and I said, listen, I know he's in really bad health and I want to be there. I want to be supportive. Um, I can cancel my trip. And he's like, oh, no, 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 don't cancel your trip. So when her father died, I was told you're not welcome to come to the funeral. What? Well, it's only for family. 
Ding, 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 ding. Okay, lady, you finally said it. The way I've been feeling all these years, unwanted by you. I even one time got the keys to the house. It was her birthday. And I set up a beautiful birthday dinner for them with fresh flowers on the table. I tried so hard to get her in my good graces. Nothing worked. So anyway, I said to my husband, you know what? Screw them. We're not, we're not going to go to the after reception. We were told to come to the get together party. Like you can't go to the funeral. You can't go to the gravesite. There you're not wanted, but you can bring some C's candy. This is what I was told to do. You can bring some C's candy and you can come to the after get together, which is going to be at the apartment of the elderly wife. Okay. Her mother, her mother. Um, and I said to my husband, you know, screw them. You know, they don't give a shit about me. I don't want to go. And my husband said, listen, we're Christian people. We're supposed to be forgiving. We're supposed to be loving. I said, yeah, but I just feel like I'm always treated like shit. And he said, just go. If you don't want to have a relationship with them, because we only see them twice a year on holidays, you don't have to see them anymore after this. But let's at least do the right thing. Let's pick up the C's candy they wanted. Let's go and let's be kind. So we did. And after that, I told my father, I'm not coming over to the house anymore because it's only twice a year. I don't feel that anybody wants us there. And if you want to have lunch with me occasionally or dinner or something, that's fine. So that's what became kind of our relationship was kind of like an occasional meal. And he would still blow it. He had a very cunning and still does sense of humor. I remember going to a buffet and sitting there and this fat gentleman walks by and he would say things like, oh, you're going back to that buffet again? What is that, the third time? <laughs> you know, it was an embarrassment. I remember leaving him at a restaurant, just getting up and leaving, and him walking out to the parking lot and yelling at me and saying, what are you doing? I said, when you start acting like a respectful adult, I will have a meal with you. And until you can do that, I'm not going to have a meal with you. And he was stomping his foot like a toddler. And he was saying, I'm the father. You're the child. I'm the father. You're the child. I said, you know what? If you want to be the father, act like the fucking father. Because you're not. And I am not going to be sitting here with you when you open your mouth and say something stupid and somebody comes up and just punches you out. I'm not going to get involved because you're going to bring on all this shit yourself because you cannot control your mouth. So after she kicks him out, I'm going with him to some of his medical appointments. I'm trying to be very caring, very loving. He's in the hospital for a week. I'm driving an hour each way every day bringing him his favorite underwear and his favorite pillow and, you know, just doing, just being an errand boy pretty much or errand girl for him. 
doing all these things for him. And after he gets out, we're talking on the phone one day and he says to me, um, I want you to know that when I die, I'm going to send you a check for $6,000. And I said, okay. Now he's already told me there's no life insurance for you. The house that I've helped my wife pay off for the last 30 years is going to her two kids. Nothing's going to you. And my estate, which is probably very little money, is also going to her because she didn't put away for retirement. Okay, so everything's about her. Okay, that's fine. Um, so anyway... He said, I'm sending you $6,000. I want you to have this party with all my past students. I want everybody to get up and tell all these jokes about me. I want it to be this great, you know, event and celebrate my life. And then this is what I want you to do. If there's any money left over, I want you to send her a check. And I got off the phone with him and I I had the feeling almost of wanting to vomit. I was so upset. I was so hurt. I was so insulted. I call him back and I said, dad, that was very hurtful. That was so insulting to me. You're already giving her everything. And he said, I don't give a fuck how you feel, just do what I'm telling you. And I said, I'm done. You know what? Next time you need a ride home from all your, you know, medical treatments and everything, call them because they're your priority, not me. Um, I'm done. If you can't see why this is so hurtful to my feelings, then we're done. So I wrote him a letter didn't talk to him for five years. Fast forward to 2020, or was it 2019? Yeah, it was the, the, the year the COVID started. Okay, so 2019. I find out that my aunt, uh, who raised me until I was in my teens, and her sister that birthed me, okay, her my biological mother, I found out that they just coincidentally, it's very strange, they died the same week in October. Now, they were 12 years apart. They didn't talk to each other. It's just very odd. And I do a podcast all about this, which is separate from this podcast, if you want to hear. So within a day of finding out all this news, I get a call, and it's this man's voice. And he's saying, do you forgive me? And I'm thinking, who is this? Who, who is this? It's daddy. Daddy? I don't have a daddy. Yeah, you do. I'm your daddy. And I'm like, Mickey? He's like, it's your daddy. And I'm, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I'm like, I just, I was like a freaking blubbering mess. I started crying. I'm like, I'm going to have to call you back. Um, I just like couldn't contain my grief between everything. I called him back. 
had a conversation. What are you sorry for? Well, just everything. I said, well, let's just go through the list. So I went through the whole list and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to forgive you because you want to go to your grave without any stress. Is that, is that right? Because he had no belief in God, unfortunately. So I gave him my forgiveness. And then I said, but don't ever call me again. So after crying for days on end about my biological mother, not knowing that she was ill because I'd been estranged from both of them, knowing that she had died and I didn't know about it. My husband, who's like the nicest, kindest person, was like, you know, don't you think he's getting old? After all, he did adopt you. I mean, I know he's done some bad things, but don't you think you should give him another chance maybe? He won his ashes spread in Ventura. You know, don't you think you could at least fulfill, you know, that for him? And it's like, yeah. So I called him to let him know that I was willing to do that. And then he came full in, opened the door back into my life. And for a little while, I was so happy because I was having the fantasy that my dad's back. I'm finally going to be the priority. He's finally going to treat me with a lot of respect and love. And I will get my dad back. He burnt all of his bridges with the other family. He had no relationship with any of them anymore. Although he's still giving his wife money, which I think is really stupid. Because he's draining his savings, which is he's going to need for his old age. And she's living in a million dollar house. And he's just giving her cash every month, which is really dumb. Um, anyway, so Christmas comes up and he says to me, I want to do something for your husband. And I'm thinking, now, why would he want to do this? I don't remember in the last 30 years him doing hardly anything. I mean, he told me 30 years ago... My wife thinks Christmas is only for children, therefore you're not getting any more gifts. It was like it was like 30 or 35 years ago. Okay, that's nice. Did she ever say that? I don't know, but that's what he told me. So no more gifts for me. And of course, no more gifts, nothing for Jay. Um so anyway, he's really concerned because we're doing a lot of nice things for him. Um so anyway, sorry, I'm getting texts. Text <laughs> blah blah blah. Anyhow, so he he, I'm losing my trend of thought. Give me a minute. I'm going to be 60 soon. You got to give me a freaking minute. So he says to me, I know what does your husband desire and want the most. Now, my husband backstory has been the most loyal, loving, caring. He's a very godly man. I believe 100% he's never cheated on me and I've never cheated on him. And he doesn't look at porn and he doesn't oogle other women the way my father does, okay? He says, I'm going to get him a tall, blonde woman who's about 25 years old with long legs. And I got off the phone with him, and again, I'm fuming because it is so degrading, okay? In 15 months, I'm going to be 60. My legs have gone way downhill, um, it's really hard to keep up when you're getting old as a woman. And I was very hurt. And I called my father and I said, you know, 
that comment you made. First of all, that's not what he would want. And he said, oh, really? Oh, well, aren't you lucky? You're very lucky. And I said, you know, this is really hurtful. I don't know if you understand how hard it is getting older as a woman and everything you go through with menopause and all the changes, but this comment is very degrading. And I said, you're skating on thin ice with me again. Do you realize that? And he hung the phone up on me. <laughs> he hung up the phone, schmuck. He wanted me to pick him up from a, from a hand surgery the following day. So my husband comes home that night and says, did he apologize? And it's been like two to three hours. I said, no. He said, don't take him. You know, why are you going to take someone who keeps insulting you and just keeps screwing up? So I said, you know, you're right. So I told him to have his friend pick him up. And I went through Christmas with heartache, being let down again for the umpteenth time by my father. Not to mention I had a relationship with my biological father for 40 years. And that went in the tank when I had to go to the hospital because I thought I was having a heart attack. So basically, I had... Two very narcissistic men in my life and a very narcissistic mother. And if you know anything about narcissists, it's all about them. Everything is wrapped in, around them. They want an audience. They want you to fill them up. They want you to, you know, laugh at their jokes and appreciate everything they have to say. And their agenda is all about them. It's not about you at all. And it never will be. And I, I finally just decided after an excruciatingly horrible holiday because I have OCD, even with Prozac, I couldn't stop thinking about how hurt I was. And I'm thinking, why do I even care? This man left when I was 12. He's not even my blood relation. <laughs> you know, I've tried so hard my whole life to make him proud of me and jump through hoops. And sitting next to me on the couch is my husband who thinks I'm amazing. Who not only approves of me, but when I tell him, I am so blessed. I am so lucky. I'm so happy to have you in my life. And I kiss his hand. He grabs my hand and he kisses my hand and kisses me. And he says, no, I'm the lucky one. I've never met anyone that has such a sincere, caring heart as you. And you're smart and funny and all these other things. So that's where I'm at, guys. I wrote my dad a nice letter. I hope he's well. I don't wish him any ill anything. But I need to put myself first. So this year, 2022, is going to be finally healing myself completely from all the trauma of the past. I don't wanna to go to a shrink and keep talking about it. I want to surround my mind and thoughts with positive affirmations, positive people. I want to spend the time and not feel guilty about doing things for myself because you know what? I worked damn hard for 35 years 
and I deserve it. I used to always feel guilty. If I would go get a massage or a facial, I'd be like, oh my God. It was like eating chocolate cake or something. Like I didn't want anyone to know because, you know, God forbid I do something nice for myself. I'm not going to feel that way anymore because I do a lot for other people too. But you know what? Now I'm putting myself first. That is healthy and that's okay. So I just, I just wanted to share with you this podcast, and I encourage all of you to make one, has been so cathartic. It's been so cleansing. It has been so good. And I've connected with people literally, I mean, literally all over the world. I really appreciate the support I'm getting. And it's good to share and to know that we all have (laughs) crazy people in our life. We all have the cards we've been dealt. We've all had things that we have to go through and that we're not alone in it. That there's other people that are dealing with things too. So I call this the no bullshit zone because everything I say is factual and true. And I've been very open and honest about everything that's happened. I hope all of you who are listening have an incredible 2022. Even if we're stuck because of COVID, we can't get on a plane, we can go to a nearby park and look at all the beautiful flowers. We could get together with friends and sit down and have a nice meal and break bread together. I am thankful that I'm here. I am thankful that I've made my way through all this. And I am thankful to you, my listeners. Please share my podcast. Thank you again. Bye-bye.